Hey, what's up, Huddle Crew? Welcome to the family. Welcome to the podcast. We are here uh, every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Central, discussing how to maintain forward progress in your flooring career. This week, we got some special guests with us. Rod Van Bush from CDI Flooring in Nashville. Is that correct? Is that the no, Louisville. 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 Mm-hmm. Louisville, Kentucky. Jared with Uzine. It, did I pronounce that right? Uh, the Germans pronounce it Utsin. So, Utsin. Uh, yeah, Utsin. And uh, I'm out of Michigan, Indiana. I cover small Ohio and Kentucky as well. Awesome. With me, as always, is Mr. Daniel and Jose Gonzalez, a preferred flooring out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. We are going to um, pick everybody's minds today and talk about handling large-scale commercial jobs. Um to kind of set this up a little bit, Rod is a uh, commercial floor covering contractor. I own a commercial floor covering company as well. Daniel and Jose do a uh, their fair share of commercial floor covering up in Grand Rapids, and they are growing swiftly. So you got some experience on the channel here. I hope you're joining and ready to, you know, maybe hear some war stories and ho- hopefully. Uh, prevent some pitfalls. But um, to set this up, we do work all over the nation, and I know Rod does as well. Um, the One of the biggest things that I think uh, comes into mind when I'm thinking of all the, when you talk about large-scale commercial projects, is all the moving parts, all the material deliveries and procurement and acclimation and schedules and general contractors and and then you got your subs or your uh employee installers and all that has to work out really well for a job to go right and there's plenty of times uh you have some hiccups in that process i've yet to have a what i would call a perfectly successful job but uh finding those pitfalls um and and trying to uh build processes around them uh, work with really good crews. Uh, a lot of those things are what we'll talk about today. So, Rod, welcome. Jared, welcome. Nice to have you here with us today. Yeah, We're going to give people just a few uh, seconds here to introduce themselves and um, let some more people join the call. Rod, would you start us off, sir? Sure. Maybe give uh, us a little bit of back- background on yourself. Well, all right. So I'm vice president of operations for CDI flooring here in Kentucky. And yes, we have an office in Nashville. I'm just not okay. directly responsible for it, but uh, uh, we're a regional company. We have offices in Indianapolis, two here in Kentucky, and then the Nashville operation. And I think we're a little bit unique as flooring contractors go because we're also an ESOP, which means we're an employee owned company, which is. Um, you know, we started down that path about five years ago, and uh, it's been an interesting journey. But uh, I, my background, I started out as an installer, started out on my knees, just like most of us have, and, and kind of grew into my role. Uh, I feel like I'm still growing into it. I've been doing it for almost 40 years, but I'm still <laughs> still learning. And uh, every every day brings new experiences. And I think that's the important part is is as we're talking about setting up commercial jobs, I think the most important uh, thing you can do is be proactive. Yeah. 
meaning that well i want to give you some kudos for always you've always been um since i've known you a guy that is open and thoughtful and understands um like you never quit learning it's a it's a process that we get beat up a little bit out there uh on projects and it's about learning and getting better uh whether it's from a project perspective or business perspective uh, you've always come off to me as the type of guy that is a kind of a lifetime learner. Well, would you, I, I, would you I, kind I will, of look at it that way? Yeah, I will tell you that when I first went into business for myself and was just running a commercial workroom in, in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, I, like so many installers, really jumped in and decided I was going to do it for myself before I was really prepared. You know, we all get no. answers. Oh, that <laughs> never happens. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, so I'd worked with the gentleman there that that really uh, didn't have much formal training himself. And so I'd worked for him for right at five years and encouraged my family members and friends. You need to be doing this for yourself. So I stepped out on that cliff and the first couple of years were a real struggle for me. And one of the ways that I survived was I hired some very talented people along the way and I learned from them. And, you know, to this day, you know, I've got 70 some employees here at CDI across four states. And I will tell you that there's somebody always coming in with a fresh idea, something that that at first you kind of go, well, I don't know how that will work. But if you'll take the time to invest in it, it's amazing. There's a lot of good ideas out there. You just have to figure out how to put the pieces together and modify them to fit circumstances. But then they generally will, will move move the needle. And so, yeah, always trying to learn from other people because there's a lot of professionals in this in this industry that are smarter than I am, and I know it. And so I, I want to learn all I can from. Them. Right? Have you ever learned anything from Roland? He says that you need to smile. Roland? <laughs> yeah, I see that. Well, you know, Roland and I have been buddies for a very long time through our connection with CFI, and, and we're practically brothers. We've been doing, you know, been together working on projects for years and years, and and. Have I ever learned anything from Roland? Yes, I've learned that you cannot put enough information on your business card. <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever gotten a business card from Roland, you'll understand that. So, Jared, tell us a little bit about um, how you got started and uh, maybe a little bit of background on, you know, yourself and what, well, what, um, what brought you to flooring. Yeah, well, well, I was in uh, flooring... For 25 years now, so I started as a ceramic installer. I worked my way through college installing ceramic, and then I went to distributor sales. And after that, I moved to let's see. I've been there. Hold on, just a second, Jared. I hate to cut you off, but the feedback. We're gonna do something here to try to reduce the feedback. Your gain said. Uh, bear with us, folks. We're trying to get the gain on Mr. Jose's uh, mic Moving down. So. Yeah, Did you turn the auto gain back off? Yes. All right, Jared, uh, maybe pull the mic towards you if that's possible. Sure. Are we good and now? Just talk. A yeah, that sounds better. There we go. So I don't need to shout in this thing. This has got a pretty good gain. <laughs> That's, I like it. Yeah. You, all you got to do is talk right there. And you sound you sound like the uh, sexy podcaster right now. So 
Excellent. You're ready to so, roll. Yeah, so, yeah, so I uh, I started in flooring. flooring. It was what ninety nine maybe, and uh, as a ceramic installer, I, I installed my way through college, and then I moved to distributor sales for seven eight years, and then after that, I've been with Utsin now for eight years. So in technical sales. So that's kind yeah. of the Cliftos version. So I've installed a bunch of different types of flooring and I've seen a lot of really horrible jobs. So, so, so and the one thing that I've picked up is, you know, learning is the key. I find that every time I go to training, even our trainings, that I learn something new every time. And I've been in the industry for, you know, 25 years of a technical rep for eight. So just the fact you can pick up little details and you just got to understand that you don't know everything. And, you know, just one little detail that you pick up and just have the humility to admit that you didn't know it before and now you know it now. So, yeah, we talk about that a lot on the podcast here is we've had um, some crews that you know have been in the flooring you know been doing it for 20 25 years not certified it's always 30 you know yeah always yeah i think that depends on what what portion of the country you're in it's like 20 around here is that 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 thing but um what was interesting is we sent two guys and they they were good installers but they got they went through r1 r2 so they could get into the uh you know, into C1 and C2. And when they left those um, certifications, they both came back and were like, man, you know, I I didn't know what I didn't know. And I tell that story a lot, but it's true. These guys were good installers, but they, Mm -hmm. they had room to improve. They were humble enough that I finally got them into a sort of, you know, several certification classes and, um, they were blown away with what they learned. I, I see that a lot with installers as well as, you know, people like yourself who believe in learning and you, you find something out new that might might just change your outlook a little bit. So, yeah. And we end up on a lot of large projects and stuff out personally on those projects just because like you want to make sure those projects go well. And you don't have any hiccups and that the crews, the crews are all trained properly and you run into so many crews that aren't trained properly. You, you have to learn how to basically tell them and break it to them that what they've been doing wrong for the last 25 years, you can now tell them how to do it right in a way that doesn't make them feel, you know, embarrassed or belittled and any of that. So there's, you know, that pretty much sums up how Jordan and I met. Thank you for sharing <laughs> you, all right well let's get into some of the stuff um we got some folks on i mean right out of the gate let me follow up jared's comment because it, it's sure. on something that I, I i think needs to be needs to be said and that is we all hear day in and day out about the shortage of installers okay we know we don't have enough to go around but what people don't talk enough about is the undertrained installers that have been in this industry for years mm-hmm. that really need to elevate their game and and the opportunities for them moving forward and how much more money they could make and how much more efficient they could be with their time if they would invest a little bit more in their careers and i it, i don't hear spoken often enough about that issue 
because it is absolutely true. We need more young people entering the industry, but it's just important to me that the people that are here have access to upgrading their skills. So, Amen. Yeah. And, and that, I that, agree. that's a necessary thing for the new, if, if new guys come in, I, I had a talk about this with CFI and with FCEF and these, these folks, I said, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's important that we get new people in, but if we don't still focus on the making sure that the current pool of installers are trained, who, who do you think these new guys end up with? And then we're just diluting, diluting kind of mediocre skills even more. And I think that's kind of the, the uh, one of the main problems of the industry is, you know, once the unions kind of started faltering off in the trainings, uh, you know, you got grandpa that was union, you know, journeyman installer, and then maybe his son wasn't, but he taught his son. And so he, he absorbed a lot of that. And then he taught his nephew. And before you know it, it gets diluted so much and people finding their own little shortcuts before you know it, it doesn't, the the way of installation doesn't even resemble the way the grandpa used to do it and um we have to continue to push for certifications push for trainings encourage people to go get those and still right in line with that keep keep working towards um you know bringing in new guys because we we obviously eventually are going to run out because people are going to age out so that's right well you talk about yeah, you talk about aging out and stuff, and then the the guys that are in it right now. I think, like the FCEF and what they do is amazing, right? For trying to bring in new people, but that just leaves us, you know, fending for ourselves, so to speak. To where there's no programs that are offering us um, any tor- any type of funds to 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 help us out when. Like Eduardo says, you know, it it is a, an investment. It's quite an investment. Things aren't cheap, and we're just not paid well enough as we should be in order to get the training that we need. Uh, a lot of guys are gonna want to just focus on the the project that they're on instead of going to get this training because they can't afford it. And that's just the industry that we're in right now. Well, I think I think part of that is pri- price follows skill, though. How many hours do we have to talk about this? Because this could go on for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty complicated question that you just asked. But sorry, Paul, go ahead. No, I, I, I think it. You know, uh, price will follow scale. Uh, eventually, the, that turns around, and you know, I, I speak of my uncle uh, quite often, who was a superintendent, but a carpenter and a superintendent, and he did great. I mean, he had a, he was doing it, did it for 35, 40 years or whatever. And his skill set created a great lifestyle for him and my, my, his family. And, and, but as skill gets diluted, that's where pricing comes a, a problem. It's not just that the, the prices that are out there are too low or, or and that, I mean, certainly, we all want to see prices rise with uh, flooring installation with within the industry. But at the same time, when you're bidding jobs and you're doing that stuff, everybody on this call knows what that's like. You have to bid in a competitive manner. 
and we you don't even you can want to pay somebody a lot more but the fact is you're constrained by what the market allows a systematic approach to it probably the chance to plug go careers hammer rating here is the fact that if you're awarding work based on the skill and what we found, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that have very low hammer ratings, if any. And then there's some really standouts, you know, uh, the truth is, is the more people that are on there that are trying to increase their hammer rating and increase their profile, then you're getting that you're bringing that skill back in. And I, I can't all I can tell you is the data shows that the higher hammer rated guys make more money. They have they don't only do more volume they get paid more. Uh, they they can they I wouldn't say command a, uh, uh, whatever they want, but they certainly if you if you've dealt with a, a really good guy and then I'm going to I'm going to get us away from labor. Or we're going to go down a rabbit hole for a while. But if you deal with a really good guy that takes care of your commercial job really well and is a great communicator, you're you don't have to go out to the job site quite as often you don't you know they're not prima donnas they just take care of your project and understand what customer service is and how to treat your your gc and how to treat the superintendent when that happens i would i will pay that guy more <laughs> because it, it may come out of my profit at that point but at the end of the day i'm spending my profit either on overhead or on that labor and if i can if I spend a little bit of my profit on that labor because they take away from my overhead, that's kind of how I look at it. And that's part of maturing into our conversation about handling large scale commercial projects or large scale commercial. Let me address the value of, of having a subcontractor that really performs at the level you just described. You're hundred percent right. I can pay a guy a little bit more money than the going rate. If I know I'm not going to have to, I, I hate the word babysit, but if I'm not going to have to go out there. But <laughs> You're right. It's babysit. That's the only right word there. If I don't have to go out there and supervise his quality, I don't have to go out there and make sure that he's staying on schedule, that he's communicating his needs and, and looking ahead to see what he's going to need in the upcoming days. All those things, if, if that guy can perform at that level, he is certainly worth his weight in gold. And I, I don't know, I'm going to tell you, those are the guys that as I'm putting together work schedules, they're the ones that, that get the prime job. They're the ones that get yeah. the, and they should be rewarded. They should be rewarded. So, you know, at any given moment, we probably employ 70 or 80 subcontractors around Kentucky and Ohio and Indiana. Okay. And it is amazing. The conversations I find myself in where somebody's going, well, how come they got that job and how come they got that job? <laughs> And it's, it's really easy to, to explain why, but they always want to challenge that. And so, you know, the important thing, if you really want to grow your business, put your ego on a shelf for a while. Set that aside. Admit for a while that you don't know everything and listen to the people that have been in it longer and understand how things work. Build relationships with people that are smart, that understand. And it's amazing how far that'll take you. But, you know, to go out there in, in, I had an installer and I certainly won't mention his name. Great guy. And have a lot of fun with him. We go play golf occasionally. And he does good work. But 
he's been trying to grow his business. And, you know, I bet everybody on this call has been in that situation where you're trying to transition into a business owner and getting off your knees and wanting to supervise and wanting to go bid more work and wanting to, and you're now relying on guys that are less talented than yourself to go perform the day in and day out stuff. And so we had a problem on a school he was working on and, and I called him in and I said, you know, we've got you scheduled for two jobs coming up and they're because of some movement in the schedule, you can't do both. He said, well, why can't I? I've got enough manpower. I said, you don't have enough supervision. That was not a fun conversation to have because in his mind, and this was his response. Why are you treating me like that? I always take care of my problems. Yeah. Well, the problem is, is that you have too many problems. Yeah, I was going to say. Back to the conversation that we had earlier today with the CCS up, and it was, it was about work. It was actually about baseball and recognizing when individual I think you got Daniel running to your rescue because you're st we're still having trouble with your mic. Yeah, we're we're having some problems hearing you uh, there, Jose. We'll bring you back on here in a sec. See if Daniel can 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 get you lined out. It's his computer. Hmm. Sorry about the technical difficulties, but if you're on the call right now, one of the things I want to bring up here is that what Rod just said is the bottom line is it's not just your ability to install a particular flooring. It's your ability to communicate. It's your ability to be professional, it's your ability to set up your projects and your labor and your guys and make sure they're trained. We talk about this a lot on the huddle is if you are a labor provider and you're going to start supervising, those people should be W-2s. Let's not, you know, one of the hardest things to deal with is 1099s going to 1099s going to 1099s going to 1099s. Before you know it, the guy that's actually doing the work is making squat. That's the problem. Keep it. If you own a company as a labor provider, your guys should be employees, W-2s of your company. And then you sub from other flooring companies or builders or whatever you want. But at some point, the 1099 train down to the bottom has to stop. And that's one of the problems that that is created um, or one of the uh, situations that have created so many problems. Um, so anyway, what were you? Can you try that again, Jose? And I'll cut you off quick if you're if you're not sounding too well. Can you say what you were going to say, sir? I don't even know if he can hear me now. All right, moving on. <laughs> so, um, so Daniel, in your guys's business, when you're doing, when you guys are doing a, a large scale project labor, what what does it look like to be working with a, a another flooring company when you when you are doing labor only? I know you guys don't do that a ton anymore, but when you do, what does it mean? those soft skills I, I mentioned, like what, what does that look like for you guys? I mean, I think Rod said it best when he says you don't have to babysit someone. Right. And that's really what, what we push and, um, and what we provide. So, uh, I was just, I just got a call from one of the, the local high schools and they said, you know, they got our information from one of the, the GCs. And, you know, he called me probably an hour after that and was like, yeah, I gave him your number. I told him that you guys are the only people that I trust to be able to do this project 
and not have to be babysat. Those were his exact words. And that's really what it comes down to is how can you put all the information out for someone, hand it over to them and trust them that that they're going to get the project done the way that it needs to be done without having to call you every five minutes. Hey, should I do it like this? Hey, this is happening. What's going on? It's <clears throat> that that's really the, the value that you should be getting from a sub. Well, so know, what does that what does that look like in a in an actual basis? What is that what is it to you, Rod or Daniel? Feel free. Like what does that mean in an in day-to-day activity? Is that them communicating more often or better? Or like when you when I say job setup, when I what I mean by that is looking out and and calling our you know our project manager and saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be done with this area. They got me in in three days. I need that other area. And we're talking large scale jobs. I'm talking schools and hospitals that you you're you're going to be on site for months. Um, what well, what does it mean exactly to you guys? Yeah, for us, it may be a little different than than some other organizations because our our infrastructure is set up where we have project managers that that performs specific responsibilities. And most of them don't relate to the job site. We have installation managers that, that travel to the job site prior to installation, making sure that they go check to see if the job's really gonna be ready, making sure they understand the schedule, making sure that the conditions on the job site are conducive to installation, which is a big deal. Whether that means taking moisture testing or, or going in there and arguing with the contractor about what you have to have for temperature in the building and what the humidity settings need to be. And, and all that becomes very important in supplying a quality job that you don't have to worry about blowing up down the road and don't have to worry about involving a manufacturer over something that wasn't acclimated properly. And so we go to pretty good length before we ever put the installer on the job to make sure that we have most of those things organized for them. So what I expect of a good contractor is to kind of pick up where we've set the stage and move through the process of installing and coordinating with the other trades. And even then, I don't leave them on an island. Uh, I expect my installation manager on a large project to be there at least once a week, just being there to support it. Here's what most people tend to, uh, they misunderstand. As a flooring contractor, I can't grow my business without good subcontractors or more hourly people, one, one or the other, correct? And so the bottom line here is, is this important to me? It's vital to my future that those subcontractors can be efficient with their time and are making a good living. Because if they're not, there's plenty of opportunities for them to go elsewhere. And so you got to kind of be a good partner. And you have to look out for their best interest. And sometimes their interest may have to come above your own. But ultimately, most important thing is the relationship I have with my customer. And I'll do all I can to protect that. But I'm not going to throw the installer under the bus. Instead, we're going to stay engaged so we can steer them away from trouble. Well, I like how Daniel always calls it trade partners, because that's how that's really what it's. It, it should be is they're they're partners in getting this project done and when you set up a project for an installer and they do a, a good job it's the day-to-day communication that they have with the gc and the day-to-day um 
uh, schedule that to me is so important. And then not waiting to the end of um, the, the, you know, till you're out of something to say, hey, I'm out of this or I can't find any more of this or whatever the situation may be. Those things do happen on projects. I mean, you set them up as best as you can, but you got, you know, time, uh, you know, timely deliveries. A lot of times we can't just deliver a whole project. Most times we can't deliver a whole project to a job site. And if you did, half your shit would be, you know, door stops and, and, (laughs) you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's like these in time deliveries you try to do. Well, I mean, it's happened to us plenty of times when materials went out, but the warehouse crew didn't grab the transitions or did, didn't grab the, yeah. Or yeah. Some, some part that is needed. Or or they take the demo machine and then don't bring the ramp. So they can't even get it off the vehicle. Uh, that sounds like something might have just happened. <laughs> <laughs> but those types ago, of things happen. Those types of things happen, and when they do happen, uh, when your trade partner is is looking out ahead a little bit, and not just at that day or that moment of getting the job done, and looking out ahead at the end of the day, um, and, and can help the flooring company be more efficient by, hey, I need this. Like that daily communication, I, I love talking to my crews first thing in the morning. How's it going? Got everything you need? Job set? You got any issues? You see any problems? See any hurdles? No? Okay, great. Call them at the end of the day. How to go today? It's like a five-minute conversation. Um, and we're a little bit different than you, Rod. We don't have as many uh, installation managers. We've got two for the entire company and we got five or six uh, project managers. So our PMs have to get out to the job sites or do link calls to the job site Uh and walk the job with the guy at the end of the day or make a phone call. I love doing link calls because I can walk through and and pick up anything that I need to have them fix. Uh, But at the same time, it's, it's, I, I see communication as one of those like looking out ahead, understanding what the project requirements are going to are and the schedule and then communicating that back and, and having that partnership. I, that's what I enjoy. That's when it seems like it's an enjoyable thing. Cause I certainly have jobs that are not so enjoyable. Hey, I see one of my hourly installers signed on uh, Josh Berlin. Uh, Josh is currently running a big project for us in Lexington, a brand new hospital there. And uh, I think he'll tell you himself that it's been quite the learning experience for him. You, you can be a good installer. And yet when you get into the mix and sometimes the politics and let alone the logistics and the coordination on a large project like that, it really is something you have to experience to fully understand the complications of it. Right. And it, the, the, for me, the best thing is, is, I said it in the first sentence, be proactive, be thinking ahead the entire time. What am I going to need? How am I going to get? And I'll I'll add one other thing. We may look at something as a two week look ahead and we'll put everything down on paper where we're going to be each day with each crew because we'll have multiple crews sometimes on the same same project. So we're scheduling out everybody for two weeks. You better have a plan B because too often your plan A falls apart. And then 
that crew doesn't have somewhere to go. So I'm always trying to lecture my guys on you. It's like, hey, I'm going down the interstate and there's a detour. I know I've got to go around it, but I got to eventually get back. Well, so how you navigate that has a lot to do with how efficient you are and how much money actually flows into your hands. Can you can you keep yourself busy when it's important to stay busy? Anybody can run a job when nobody's in your way. Figuring out how to navigate when people are in, in your way and still manage to get the job done and still not sacrifice your production is something that has to be learned. Right. So when we were on, a, well, when I was running um, one of the last hospital projects and that's, you, you were saying, you know, what does that look like day to day? And with us, um, since we do call, you know, each other partners, and then once you realize that you do get the training in order to, to be able to charge more, that's where um, we have worked ourselves up to, right? And with the, the partners that we work with, what was going on is we essentially take that role of being the project manager, in a sense, on that job site. I'm the one that has eyes on it all the time. So I'm the one that's going to the meetings. I'm the one that is talking to the GC saying that, hey, we're going to be ready for this area tomorrow. We're going to be ready for this area next week, stuff like that. So um, in order to get to that point, there, there's really no other way to get to that point other than like Josh is running a project like that. And I mean, baby sister's going through it right now where she's running a, a, a project like that. And that that's what it is. I mean, some sometimes it's myself when I was on that project was not doing any anything on the floor. I was going to this meeting. I'm going and, and checking the material. I'm going to make sure that these areas are cleaned. I'm going to make sure that, you know, everything is set up for the crew that is working with me to be successful for the next two, three, four days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those, yeah, that's the forcing. Yeah. And those politics are, are learned. So, I mean, it just takes experience on those type of job sites to know, well, you know, what does the GC foreman expect? And, you know, what are the other trades? How do I have to negotiate with them to get access to it when I need to, to, to keep the job moving? Right. So there's a lot of just like you only learn that by doing it. Well, this is going to sound egotistical and I don't, I, so take it with a grain of salt, but you know, a lot of times I'll go on a job site and discuss a particular scheduling issue or, or a problem with a superintendent. And there's been times that I've had to stop them in the middle of a conversation and say, I'm trying to help. I really am trying to help. I'm not here to fight with you. I'm not here to battle. I'm trying to come in to help you. And it doesn't hurt the fact that on any given year, I'm associated with 200 commercial projects. How many buildings do you build a year? And so yeah. in, in relationship to that, I'm seeing a lot more scheduling issues than he does. So there are times that, that even though I don't want to ever come off arrogant, I am the expert in the room. He needs to listen. And more often than not, if I can gain his trust where he'll listen to me, we can work through most of the problems. But there is a, there is a sector of superintendents out there that are kind of old school and they don't want to listen to anybody else. They want to dictate how things are done. Those jobs never flow as well as the ones where everybody collectively manages the project. Yeah. I've, uh, 
I would agree <clears throat> with the uh, the statement that the old there are some old superintendents out there that are kind of stuck in their ways and um, want to dictate to you when you're going to do something. The problem is <clears throat> they want to dictate to you when you're going to do something and when you're going to finish something. And those types of constraints are what cause project schedule issues and trying to get jobs done. We, we know what it takes to get our job done and we know what the durations are uh, on a particular job site. And so I like what you said, Jared, about negotiating that that is a negotiation, like learning how to talk to people and get what you want is the essence of negotiating. And that's what we as you know, when I was installing one of the things that I was I finally got good at. I was terrible at it in the early days, but I, I did get better at it and got got pretty good at talking to the other trades, understanding where they're going to be and not making a plan behind the GCs, you know, without the GC, but gaining some information so that I could talk to the superintendent. Hey, I talked to the electrician. They're going to be out of there tomorrow. Can I get in there and get my stuff done before you, you know, drop your ceiling tile? Um, or, you know, I would love them just to be out of our way and we never put floor in before the, all the, everything's done, but that never happens. So, yeah. you know, trying to fit yourself in where you can, and then understanding cure times, especially if you're using some of your your products like the moisture mitigation, Jared, or self-leveling, you got cure times and stuff that you got to understand. And they don't always understand that. So bringing that level of expertise, I don't think that's arrogant at all. I think it's absolutely necessary on most jobs. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to let them know what the trade-offs are. Like most decisions we make in the construction industry have some sort of trade-off, whether it's cure time or workability or finished product or having to add another primer or whatever, right? We always have, you know, if you get a faster cure time, guess what? It's going to cost more money and that's a trade-off. And, you know, it's the same thing when you're discussing with a foreman on a job site with the GC, you're talking with him and you're like, well, if you push us off another day, then... I don't have the same group of people coming back here. Now I'm going to have two less people because they have to be on a different job. And this is what your trade-off is, right? Like it's going to take an extra one day or two days or whatever to finish this particular area or do something. And you just got to let them know what the trade-off is for the decision they're going to make. And then you can let them make the call, right? Um, but you have to let them know what the trade-offs are. Well, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about GCs and we're leaving out the whole construction management segment, which has to be managed even different than the GC model might. Uh, construction managers, unless they're construction management at risk, often are, are a lot more hands off. And they really do expect you to handle the logistics and the scheduling with the other trades. And they'll set up their meetings and everybody goes in there. And I always get a kick out because I say, you know, okay, it's, it's the Friday morning liars club. <laughs> and tell stories about what they're going to have done that they have no chance of getting done. But it's important. When, when I was a young installer, I used to really, I mean, they nicknamed me Ramrod because when I got on the job site, you just get out of my way. I'm there to do a job. I pushed my way through. I would irritate and piss off plenty of other contractors on the job because I had the mentality that I've got two weeks to get done. I'm going to get it done hell or high water. 
And I want to tell you what, it was counterproductive and it took me a long time to find that out because I kept running into the same contractors and guess what? They remember. And, and if they didn't like you after you finished the last job with them, they're not going to like you any better when you start the next one. And so it's important that you do kind of look at it more globally and you look at how can I fit into the bigger picture and how can I make it work for everybody, not just me. If you show a little bit of kindness and a little bit of generosity and you're a little bit creative when you run into one of those situations, not every other contractor on the job will duplicate your effort, but the majority of them will buy into it and they'll treat you with the level of respect that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. And, and so this business is about relationships at every level, mm -hmm. every level. And so the idea is, is, to, is to go out of your way to try and build that next relationship because it pays dividends. You know, we get a lot of work that we're not always low. We get it because we've created an, a situation for ourselves where people want us on the job. So even sometimes when it's a hard bid, we're able to kind of navigate our way through to be in position to, to win that job. And it's because people want us. And I think that's important. And so as we're talking about CDI's business philosophy, you have to understand that has to funnel all the way down through our crews. They have to share that. They have to, they have to demonstrate they understand that. That sometimes is, is a complicated issue. Yeah, and I like what you said there about, um, you know, having relationships all the way through. I, you know, there's plenty of times as a flooring contractor, we don't have booms on jobs all the times or lulls or, or uh, telehandlers, whatever you guys want to call them. They got many names. But man, can you make a buddy with the mason that's on site for so long that'll let you use his maybe buy the gas or a six pack of beer and i don't know yeah. how many times i've negotiated that deal yeah it's a case now i no, no more six yeah. <laughs> inflation <laughs> yeah. so inflation. yeah you know that that relationship is is what those relationships with your subs with your gc with everybody the ultimate goal and what we try to get our our people to understand and what I implore like on this podcast is understand that to be successful in any business, you have to have the customer's needs at, at in front of you. Like that's gotta be your number one concern is dealing with the customer's needs. The problem that we have in construction and particularly by the time it gets down to flooring is those customers needs are, um, sometimes unachievable and it's getting down to crunch time. I've got a, a big, uh, a big project we're doing right now. Uh, one of my managers is fighting on where the owner wanted a whole another wing of this, this, um, condo project opened up at the same time and it wasn't on the schedule. The owner wants it. The GC didn't want to say no, you know, all this stuff. And then that just flows down to you. And now they expect that you got like 30 guys just sitting in the wings somewhere doing nothing, ready to just deploy to their job site. And while we have some, some mechanisms on being able to pull some of that stuff off, it can be very complicated to do so. Um, and that's, that's just part of how, why this business is a can be a very tough business, but it can also be very rewarding when you're able to get something like that done. 
for, for a client and they don't forget it very quickly if you do pull it off for them. Well, I will tell you that, that one of the things that, that I'm not ashamed to say I utilize it on a regular basis when I'm getting kind of pushed by a contractor and they're not giving me the space they need, but they want more manpower. And I think we've all lived that experience too. <clears throat> they get me more people. Well, where am I going to put them? You know, you need more guys. <laughs> you need more guys. I've got to, I got to get this area done. And, and so a lot of times we'll get more creative and there are times that I've, I've, have sacrificed and, and the guys that work for me probably don't always appreciate it, but I put them in on in, in second shift where they didn't have to work at the same time the others did so they could be more efficient. And yeah, oftentimes I have to put the bill for that. Sometimes I can pass it along to the contractor, but you got to get, you got to get to the point where whatever expectation is reasonable is somehow achieved. And so, Sometimes the definition of reasonable gets a little skewed, but uh, yeah, it, you bet you better figure out what that is. And so I, I will tell you that I'll often tell an install or tell a contractor that bringing more manpower is not the right answer. And we'll work through the whole scenario and, and sometimes we'll come up with a whole different plan, but I'm never afraid to, to tell my healthcare customers that guys, if you're not ready when you're supposed to be ready, this, these are sheet vinyl people. They're in high demand. If they go somewhere else, I can't promise you they're going to be back here when you need them. So you better find a way to be ready. And you'd be surprised how frequently that works. I always tell people, we've all lived it. The elevator people can show up anytime they want. <laughs> elevator people can show up anytime they want. And everybody accommodates them because at least here in Kentucky, there's only three elevator companies. So you know they're in pretty high demand. And so they just work with them. And I keep saying, if you can accommodate them, certainly with a little planning, you can accommodate the rest of us. We just need to turn around and do something that most GCs are not accustomed to doing. And that is to manage the schedule from day one, not once the interior trades begin their work. Yeah, we talked about this, you know, before, too. And it's um, like they're always like you guys can work at night and stuff like that when it's like no, why don't you just make these people that are in our way work at night? And they don't like those conversations either. No, they never do. They never do. And I think that's not a first choice. That's kind of a last resort. But if you really have to find a way to get it done, you've got to get past saying no. And you got to say, yes, I don't I don't know how, but I'll figure it out. And that's that's kind of what we do sometimes is just simply say, I've got to figure it out. Yeah, we can hear you, Jose. Holy smokes, I'm back. I've been muted this whole time. Uh, and it's Look, been, oh, you, yeah, you, I know you well enough. It's just been killing you. <laughs> you sound like a mouse, but. I have so many notes right now. Yeah, it is killing me. Okay. okay yeah, well, I'm very great either. What, what, what I, um, unfortunately for Jose, who does uh, always bring the, bring the, the heat, during the huddle here is we're nearing the end. So I want to kind of <laughs> distill all the conversation down into like best practices. So um, I'll fire off and then we'll just go uh, around. I, I would say best practices for the, for the flooring company side, set your jobs up correctly. Uh, like understand your project. If you're a project manager, 
know, know your schedule. And then I am a firm believer, a very firm believer in having kickoff like pre-construction meetings on site, going through the job and really understanding what the schedule is, what the demands are, and then giving them good ways to communicate back and forth with both video uh, capabilities and text messaging, you know, let them know what the best way to get a hold of you is what I'm trying to say, as well as the way you like to commute to communicate. So to me, it's communication and project setup. How about you, Rod? Well, I think this is more <clears throat> philosophical, but I, but I will tell you that I think one of the most important things that you can do on a large job is find a way to get the superintendent to like you. Okay. Really, really important thing to do. You know, I tell our installation managers all the time, hey, if you got the opportunity, take him to lunch. Figure out what his candy is. Figure out what it takes to get him <laughs> on your side. I because, knew I about it the wrong way. <laughs> you went about the wrong way? Okay. Well, anyhow. Um, so along that lines, I think that communication has to be a daily thing. I think the more you're engaged in setting the schedule up and maintaining the schedule and modifying it as needed, the more successful you'll be as a flooring contractor. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have a voice with every superintendent. Sometimes it doesn't work. Some of the best advice that, that I think I can give after doing this for four years still is not going to work every time. But I think it'll work the majority of the time. And if you get incremental improvements across the board, I think you'll find your life is a hell of a lot easier. So I always say, be a problem solver. Don't be a problem. That's Love super, it. That superintendent is probably dealing with 10, 12, 14 other trades, and they're all coming to him with problems. When you become the problem solver, you become a valuable part of his team. And that's and, and I'm not saying that to be cliche. I really no, I love that saying. Be a problem solver yeah. and not the problem. Yeah. How about you, Daniel? Let me try or to go. Jose, let's get you in here. Yeah, let me try to go because I gotta get some talking off my chest here. So um one hundred percent agree with the uh do your best to to get the, the GC on your side. I agree with that right there. Um the, another couple of things we touched base on a few of the items that you guys spoke about was communication is key. In order to, for, for you to have a plan B and for the plan B to work out, you have to be able to communicate. Sometimes for me, it was harder to have a wide open job than it was to have a cluttered job because now we're ahead of schedule and my plan B is more important to have in the place. Um, when I had three weeks planned for a project a month, now we're done in two weeks. What am I going to do now? Uh, communication for that and updating every day. Um, the getting the the rest of the contractors on your side like you said paul definitely definitely buy it buy uh, a case of beer help them out buy buy the uh, the crew lunch buy if you're working at a facility where their employees are unloading you buy them lunch do something that's going to be remembered stand out separate yourself that's uh, that's really all i got guys and and, and be be ready to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's about all you can do. How about you, Daniel and Jared? You guys, I'll let Jared go first. 
Um, from a manufacturer perspective, um, I would just say, like, utilize your manufacturer reps if, uh, especially difficult situations where I've seen, uh, I've seen contractors say word for word what I say to either an owner's rep or a GC rep, and they'll be nodding and completely agree when I say it. And when the contractor said it, they thought that he was trying to rip him off with a change order. So utilize your manufacturer reps, whether it's the adhesive rep, the floor covering rep, uh, the prep rep like Utsin. Um, use those reps to uh, to help your cause. Like we're 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 industry experts as well, and sometimes they'll listen to us when they won't necessarily listen to the flooring contractor on what's necessary and what change orders are necessary. If somebody like from the manufacturer level is advocating for the change you guys have. I like that advice and, and, and it probably can't be overstated because I want to tell you the number of times that, that I've argued with a contractor about job site conditions and then got the manufacturer involved to come in and say, you're not going to have a warranty. You're not going to do that. We're not. Yeah. Makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Yeah, they, they listen to the manufacturer reps when they think that the flooring contractor is just trying to rip them off. Well, and it, like it's like I, I get on a job site. I'm like, I'm not saying a word different than what the flooring contractor already told them. But since it's coming out of my mouth, somehow it all of a sudden has some sort of credence behind it. And they just it, they just look at it differently because they think our our motivations are different or, you know, we're the ones sitting behind the warranty. So, you know, if they want that backing, they have to do what we say. So and I'm right there, like, because this is kind of a all encompassing thing with me going last, because with what Rod said, you know, getting on their good side, sometimes getting on their bad side can end you up on that good side because that's happened multiple times where I'm like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. And then I just do it. And then they come back and they're like, wow, you guys got that done really fast. And I said, I told you that now, if you have this next thing ready, it's going to be the same thing. So that, that builds that trust with that contractor. And then it's crazy because that is the same contractor where I was on a job site and we were having issues and I called Jared. So being that problem solver, I called the rep. And I'm like, Jared, this is what's kind of happening. What's going on? What do you recommend? He recommends something. I go back to the GC saying, I already talked to the rep. This is what we have to do. And being that problem solver. So it's it's kind of, you, you got to do all these things all at the same time. And you have to have the, the mindset to where you can handle this kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it takes a lot. It, take, it takes a lot and a lot of time to get to where you're comfortable doing everything, but you do need that time. Yeah. Well, I, I would say that to kind of close this out here, you know, all, we, we talked a lot about the flooring, um, you know, from a flooring company standpoint, if you're an installer on here watching, uh, I, I would say understand that don't take everything personal from the GCs and these things don't, you know, to me, it's like, you got a job to do. You have the skill set to do that job and don't there there's gruff superintendents out there, especially you young guys probably need to hear this. There's gruff superintendents out there. Don't take everything so personal. You have a goal, keep your goal in mind, like for that project. And, 
and communicate with your your flooring company if you're working with one and try try to remember that you have a daily you know uh, objective that you want to meet and so that communication that keeps being brought up is important for us to communicate with our gcs but it's also important for you guys you the subcontractors out there to communicate well with your your flooring company you know everything from material deliveries to getting the product installed to site conditions we're just not there every day even the best of us can't be there every day so good communication between us when we're working together uh, will help both of our lives go a lot easier and then uh, last but not least is when we from a flooring contractor standpoint when i'm dealing with gcs i i like you know what you said daniel about sometimes it's not um you know just sometimes doing something they don't like is getting them on your side i always look at it like what is the best for the project and sometimes i have to force that what is best for the project not just me but actually for the project and for the end user that is correct I agree with that as well, Paul. Real quick, do what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that's that a good right policy. There. Oh, my God. If you just do what you say you're going to do, <laughs> it, it, it's like magic because all of a sudden they don't worry about you no more. You're the one guy out there they don't have to worry about. So just deliver what you promise. I think I promise to deliver. Yeah, we can cut out this whole podcast and just do what Roger said. Just do do what you say you're going to do. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole podcast right there. Yeah. Well, the podcast is come to an end, guys. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Hey, give help us out here. Give us a like, a subscribe, comment, you know, get the word sure. out. The, the bottom line is we don't, uh, you know, have a lot of uh, algorithmic uh, know-how. We need you guys to share the show, talk about the show, and get the viewership up. That's what's going to show the platforms that you like what we talk about. Uh, as Daniel has at the bottom, if you have a topic that you want us to cover, send it to Ashlyn at GoCarrera.com and we'll get you on the podcast. Maybe at the very least, we could talk about a subject that is important to you. So uh, we'd like to get on here and wrap kind of like the, you know, just a fireside chat kind of uh, thing. And we hope you guys enjoy that um, that platform. So thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. 3 p.m. We'll Central. Uh, we'll see them this week because we're going to be at the summit starting. Well, we, we'll be there tomorrow, but then I think it starts. Yeah, we are going to be shooting an overtime at from the summit in Dalton, Georgia. Uh, you know, take that QR code. If you can make it down there, I know it's it's kind of last minute, but if we've implored you guys to get down to these conferences because what Rod was speaking about earlier about, you know, networking and getting and the this business being about relationships you will you will meet people there that have been through what you're what you've been what you are going to go through i should say and can help you navigate some of those pitfalls trust me if you get to the summit or you get to cfi's convention that we go to every time cfi and fcica joint convention those are where you meet the people that can help you get you know get better at your craft and get better at how you approach your business and grow your company in a sustainable way. And maybe, maybe avoid some of the pitfalls we were talking about here early on when we all got started. Yeah. Thanks Elena, no for problems. passing stickers out. Only solutions. Yeah. All well, right. Thank, thank you guys. I appreciate it.
All right. Thanks, thanks for joining us, Rod. Jared, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you guys uh, this week and next week. Adios. See ya. See ya. Thanks, everyone. Bye.